Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story, Poor Dear Margaret Kirby, by Kathleen Norris. You and I have been married nearly seven years, Margaret Kirby reflected bitterly. And I suppose we are as near hating each other as two civilized people ever were. She did not say it aloud, but Kirby's had long ago given up any discussion of their attitude to each other. But as the thought came into her mind, she eyed her husband, lounging moodily in her motor car as they swept home through the winter twilight, the hopeless, mute invitation. What was the matter, she wondered, with John and Margaret Kirby? Young, handsome, rich, and popular. What had been wrong with their marriage? That brilliantly heralded and widely advertised event. Whose fault was it that they two could not seem to understand each other? Couldn't seem to live out their lives together in honorable and dignified companionship, as generations of their forebears had done. Perhaps everyone's marriage is more or less like ours, Margaret mused miserably. Perhaps there is no such thing as a happy marriage. Almost all the women that she knew admitted unhappiness of one sort or another and discussed their domestic troubles freely. Margaret had never sunk to that. It would not even have been a relief to a nature as self-sufficient and as cold as hers. But for years she had felt that her marriage tie was an irksome and distasteful bond, and only that afternoon she had been stung by the bitter fact that the state of affairs between her husband and herself was no secret from their world. A certain audacious newspaper had boldly hinted that there would soon be a sensational separation in the Kirby household, whose beautiful mistress would undoubtedly follow her first unhappy marital experience with another, and, it was to be hoped, a more fortunate marriage. Margaret had laughed when the article was shown her, with the easy flippancy that is the stock-in-trade of her type of society woman, but the arrow had reached her very soul nonetheless. So, it had come to that, had it? She and John had failed. They were to be dragged through the publicity, the humiliations that precede the sundering of what God has joined They had drifted as so many hundreds and thousands of men and women drift from the warm, glorious companionship of the honeymoon to quarrels, to truces, to discussion, to a recognition of their utter difference in point of view, and to this final, independent, cool adjustment that left their lives as utterly separated as if they had never met. Yet she had done only what all the women she knew had done, Margaret reminded herself in self-justification. She had done it a little more brilliantly, perhaps. She had spent more money, worn more handsome jewels and gowns, She had succeeded in idling away her life in that utter leisure that was the ideal of them all, whether they were quite able to achieve it or not. Some women had to order their dinners, had occasionally to go about in hired vehicles, had to consider the cost of hats and gowns. But Margaret 
envied, had her own carriage and motor car, her capable housekeeper, her yearly trip to Paris for uncounted frocks and hats. All the women she knew were useless, boasting rather of what they did not have to do than of what they did. And Margaret was more successfully useless than the others. But wasn't that the lot of a woman who is rich and marries a richer man? Wasn't it what married life should be? I don't know what makes me nervous tonight, Margaret said to herself finally, settling back comfortably in her furs. Perhaps I only imagine John is going to make one of his favorite scenes when we get home. Probably he hasn't seen the article at all. I don't If it should come to a divorce, why, we know plenty of people who are happy that way. Thank heaven there isn't a child to complicate things. Five feet away from her, as the motor car waited before crossing the park entrance, a tall man and a laughing girl were standing, waiting to cross the street. But aren't we too late for gallery seats? Margaret heard the girl say, evidently deep in an important choice. Oh no, the man assured her eagerly. Then I choose the fifty-cent dinner and Hoffman by all means, she decided joyously. Margaret looked after them, a sudden pain at her heart. She did not know what the pain was. She thought she was pitying that young husband and wife, but her thoughts went back to them as she entered her own warm, luxurious rooms a few moments later. Fifty-cent dinner, she murmured. It must To her surprise, her husband followed her into her room without knocking and paid no attention to the very cold stare with which she greeted him. "'Sit down a minute, Margaret, will you?' said, "'and let your woman go. I want to speak to you.' Angry to feel herself a little at loss, Margaret nodded to the maid and said in a carefully controlled tone, "'I am dining at the Kelsey's, John. Perhaps some other time.' Her husband, a thin, tall man, prematurely gray, was pacing the floor nervously. His hands plunged deep in his coat pockets. He cleared his throat several times before he spoke. His voice was sharp and his words were delivered quickly. It's come to this, Margaret. I'm very sorry to have to tell you, but things have finally reached a point where it's... It's got to come out. Bannister and I have been nursing it along. We've done all that we could. I went down to Washington and saw Peterson, but it's no use. We turn it all over, the whole thing, to the creditors tomorrow. His voice rose suddenly. It was shocking to see the control suddenly fail. I tell you, it's all up, Margaret. It's the end of me. I won't face it. He dropped into a chair, but suddenly sprang up again and began to walk about the room. Now you can do just what you think wise, he resumed presently, in the advisory, quiet tones he usually used to her. You can always have the income of your Park Avenue house. Your Aunt Pa will be glad enough to go abroad with you and... There are personal things, of silver and the books, that you can claim. His voice shook again, but he gained his calm after a moment. I want to ask you not to work yourself up over it. There was a silence. Margaret regarded him in stony fury. She was dead wide. Do you mean Throckmorton, Kirby, and son have... has failed? Do you mean that my money... Money that my father left me is gone? Does Mr. Bannister say so? Why, why has it never occurred to you to warn me? I, I did warn you. I did try to tell you 
in July. Why, all the world knew how things were going. If on the last word there crept into his voice, the plea that even a strong man makes to his woman for sympathy, for solace, for its eyes killed, John, turning to go, gave her what consolation he Margaret, I can only say I'm sorry. I tried. Bannister knows how I tried to hold my own. But I was pretty young when your father died, and there was no one to help me learn. I'm glad it doesn't mean actual suffering for you someday. Well, perhaps get some of it back. God knows I hope so. I've not meant much to you. Your marriage has cost you pretty dear. But I'm going to do the only thing I can for you. Silence followed. Margaret presently roused herself. I suppose it can be kept from the papers. We needn't be discussed and pointed at in treats, she asked heavily, face a mask of distaste. That's impossible, said John briefly. To some people, nothing is impossible, Margaret said. Her husband turned again without a word and left her. Afterward, remembered the sick misery in his eyes, the whiteness of his face. What did she do then? She didn't know. Did she go at once to the dressing table? Did she ring for Louise? Or was she alone as she slowly got herself into a loose wrapper and unpinned her hair? How long was it before she heard that people cry in the hall? What was it? That? Or the voices and the flying footsteps that brought her shaken and gasping to her feet? She never knew. She only knew that she was in John's dressing room and that the servants were cluttered, a sobbing, terrified group in the doorway. John's head, heavy, with blood eyes, was on her shoulder. John's limp body was in her arms. They were telling her that this was the bottle that he had emptied and that he was dead. It was a miracle. They had got her husband to the hospital alive, the doctors had told Margaret, late that night. His life could only be a question of moments. It was extraordinary that he should live through the night, they told her the next morning. But it could not last more than a few hours now. It was impossible for John Kirby to live, they said. But John Kirby lived. He lived. Struggled through agonies undreamed of. Back to days of new pain. There were days and weeks and months where he lay, barely breathing, now light, now just a shade more deep. There came a day when great doctors gathered around him. To exult it, he undoubtedly, indisputably winced, hypodermic needle hurt him. There was a great day in late summer when he muttered something. Then came relapses, discouragements, the bitter retracing of steps. Christmas Day, he opened his eyes, and said to the grave thin woman who sat with her hand in his, Margaret. He slipped off again too quickly to know that she had broken into tears and fallen on her knees beside him. After a while he sat up and was red, and finally wept because the nurses told him that someday he would want to get up and walk about again. His wife came every day, clung to her like a child, Sometimes, watching her, a troubled thought would darken his eyes. But on a day when they first spoke of the terrible past, she smiled at him 
the motherly smile that he was beginning so to love, and told him that all business affairs could wait. He believed her. One glorious spring afternoon, when the park looked deliriously fresh and green from the hospital windows, John received permission to extend his little daily walk beyond the narrow garden. With an invalid's impatience, he bemoaned the fact that his wife could not be there that day to accompany him on his first trip into the world. His nurse laughed at him. Don't you think you're well enough to go and make a little call on Mrs. Kirby? She suggested brightly. She's only two blocks away, you know. She's right here on Madison Avenue. Keep in the sunlight, walk slowly, and be sure to come back before it's cold or I'll send the police after you. Thus warned, John started off, delighted at the independence that he was gaining day after He walked the two short blocks with the care that only convalescents know, a little confused by all the street noises, the wide light and the air about him. He found the address, but somehow... The big, gloomy double house didn't look like Margaret. There was a Mrs. Kirby there, the maid assured him, however, and John sat down in a hopelessly ugly drawing room to wait for her. We'll continue this story on our next episode. We're always on the lookout for new public domain stories to read so we can keep you going to sleep. Email bigvoicej at gmail.com Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>